Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey people, Ben here. Welcome to my podcast, A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers. Thank you, as always, for joining me. It's episode number 66. I just got back from the announcement of the Taylor Wessing Portrait Prize winners at the National Portrait Gallery, where I went to cheer on the lovely Abby Trailer smith previously of this parish. You can find the chat I had with Abby on episode 12, I think it is. Abby was one of the three finalists for the overall prize. It was intense, I can tell you, especially when they announced the third place winner and it wasn't Abby. So that was a 50-50 chance. But she was beaten into second place in the end by César Desfouli. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Apologies to César if I haven't, but congratulations to him uh, for winning and to everyone else who made it into the exhibition, which in itself is a great achievement. And of course to Abby, who, you know, should have won, but... What else? We've finally reached the magic 100 reviews on iTunes, 99 of which I'm proud to say are the full five stars. So that's not bad, is it? The other is four. So that's very encouraging, makes me happy. So do feel free to leave a review yourself if you haven't already. I know I said, but I lied. Just because we got to 100 doesn't mean we have to stop there. Also, if you think the show's worth a few quid a month, please sign up for a recurring donation at bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice. Or you can uh, make a little one-off uh, donation. I'll tell you who's in town the other day, Annie Leibovitz. So, of course, I wasn't going to miss such a rare opportunity, and I wrote Annie a note inviting her to have a chat on a small voice, and I personally took it down to her book signing at Waterstones in Piccadilly. I didn't expect her to do it or anything. I just, you know, you've got to try, haven't you? If you, if you, if you don't ask, the answer is always no, as they say. So I went down there, and um, I had to negotiate the gatekeepers, to try and ensure that she got the note. Because I have a rule for myself on this podcast, which is that I do not accept a no from someone who doesn't have the authority to say yes. In other words, the photographer themselves. And um, I kind of messed it up because I hate gatekeepers. And they're only trying to do their jobs, you know. But I I just, I got really grumpy because I get really wound up by those kind of people. And I apologise to them because they really were just trying to do their thing. But I probably tucked myself up there um, not that she probably would have done it for goodness sake but I doubt she's going to do it when she gets a note from someone who says this is from a grumpy sod who I just had to deal with who wants me to give this to you anyway I tried in a way and I will continue to try on your behalf dear listener if anyone's in town who's of interest to this wonderful podcast another person who's at the portrait gallery tonight is my guest this week who is herself no stranger to that award, having featured among the finalists for the past three years running, I think it is. And that is, of course, the brilliant Sean Davey. Sean is a photographer with a background in fine art and social policy, who had a successful career as a psychotherapist for many years before deciding to jack it all in and pursue a new career in photography, which so far, to all intents and purposes, appears to be going swimmingly. Her work is an investigation of the psychological landscapes of herself, her family and her community, all of which are central to her practice. Her first series focused on her young daughter, Alice, who she started photographing at the age of one. The project was eventually published as a book by Trolley Books, entitled Looking for Alice, which was shortlisted for the Aperture Best Book Award at Paris Photo 2016, and has been generally very well received. Her most recent series, Martha, 
focusing on her teenage stepdaughter, uh, grew as a response to her question to Sean, which was, why don't you photograph me anymore? So Sean did, turning her lens on Martha and her friends to produce an intimate collaboration. And I think I might be writing saying that that will probably be Sean's next book, if indeed it does come to fruition. Uh, she has recently completed her MA and MFA in photography. She's been the recipient of numerous awards, including the Arnold Newman Award for New Directions in Portraiture and the Pre-Virginia Women's Photography Award. She just won something else as well, I think, but I don't want to blab about that because I don't think it's been officially announced yet. Uh, but she's represented by the Michael Hoppen Gallery. Some of you may have heard of that. Love talking to Sean. Great chat. Enjoy this one. <laughs> What we can talk about yeah it's a good question oh god We're, we have got so much to get through <laughs> you're you're officially a, a rock star at the moment in terms of the world of photography oh my, that's you're, nice <laughs> you're having you're having i haven't got a vip pass for paris yet then i'm officially a rock star. is that right is that the the the, the benchmark <laughs> well i just i'm going to be queuing for two hours so you're going to paris photo yeah when is that couple november i'll never i'm never going to be cool enough to be going there with people my, like I you. used to go with my uh, can my you get ex, a bit closer I used to go with my ex-partner with um, with Alice when she was a baby but we never queued because we had a baby with us so we always just you know get through the fast track oh, right. but I haven't got a baby so now you've replaced so now I've got the, a queue the, the, ba- the baby with the VOP pass yes that's it so hopefully so I've got it or latching on to someone who's more important the VOP pass is definitely <laughs> definitely an easier option yeah uh, no, no childcare issues oh, with the VIP pass. It's good to feel important momentarily in life, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Just no, for yeah, a moment. You, you Even if it's have... just a pass, it tells you you're important. Look, that, will, that will do. You know what? You've got to celebrate those things when, when they happen, if they happen. That's the thing. <laughs> I really do believe it, you know? I mean, there's no point in being kind of cool about it. So, so Ben. I thought I might just... I was thinking actually at one point I could just I might just use this as a free psychotherapy session and forget about the interview. Go ahead, but you I, owe I'm me after do, that one. I'm not going to do that. You owe me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. That would that would just be tedious for my yeah. listeners. Some of them won't understand that reference, but we'll get to it. Um, so, right, right from the start, what okay. what kind of kid were you? Challenging. Really. Confrontational. Um, Why is that? I think because my environment, the context of my childhood was um, problematic and uh, difficult. Was it? Yeah. Do you have siblings? Yeah. I have, I have a, an older sister and a brother who's ten and a half months younger. Right, okay. So, so my mother was pregnant at six weeks, yeah. There's a kind of cliche that people who end up being psychotherapists do that because they had challenging. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> is inevitable, that, isn't it? Is it? I suppose so. Yeah, but I wouldn't. Yeah, well, it's not inevitable. You end up being a psychotherapist, but no, but it's but, ine- uh, yeah, it's useful. It's a useful tool, isn't it? Yeah, to try and figure out your own shit. Absolutely, yeah. So, what was this problem? Oh, the problem. Mm. Well, I think the problem is. Um, lots of problems was there yeah i think my uh two very unhappy parents wasn't helpful Mm. and um and i think the difference with that generation is that there was an absence of witness to what was going on for them so they just kind of acting out all this stuff around the kids so i do i'm aware that it's not 
I don't blame them for that. Mm. It's a generational thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can but, testify to that. Yeah. They don't really know any better, I They suppose. didn't know any better. But also, you know, it was problematic. I mean, when I, as soon as I left home, I just left. And I haven't really seen my brother or sister since. Or, or you know, or my parents. My mother died quite young from uh, cancer, and actually obesity-related cancer. How old were you when she died? Um, I was, how old was I, late 30s, I think, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, so that, so that, so it, your relationship with your siblings has, has been kind of distant then, you it didn't kind of bring you, bring you closer together to have sort of shared that? no. Experience. Mm. I think because it was never talked about or discussed or processed, you know, so it's just, it's, it's still really alive. And yeah. I think, you know, I think the membrane between, it was, it became, it was so thin between sanity and insanity for me. Yeah. That I had to, uh, I had to get on top of that. I mean, you've said that, um, when your dad died, but that was kind of one of the things that got you going with photography. Was that basically the case? That that was a kind of, I don't know, a, a sort of inciting incident as far as no, the photography? No, not really. I think there was a whole constellation of things at the time. and Maybe it just coinc- coincided. Yeah, I think it was, you know, I just really met my father's madness when he died. I mean, I, I, it hadn't been that clear. And... Um, and I lost a baby. And I moved house from Brighton, which is my hometown, and I moved to the West Country. So all these things kind of piled up. And then something happens often, isn't there, when things consolate together and they kind of ignite a process. And I, uh, and I think all those together. And then I found myself pregnant with Alice six months, a year into moving into Devon. But the grief over losing that baby in particular, I was... Uh, that was during pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. the baby just died. And I went to see the Louise Bourgeois retrospective at the Tate. And I uh, I don't normally cry at exhibitions, but mm. I, I cried a lot. When, and, and I knew that I had to do something. And I kind of decided that it was going to be photography at that juncture. So what experience had you had of photography up to then? Almost none? No. But you started, you, you were a painter, you studied painting, didn't you? Yeah, kind of. But it was, it was straight after I left home, so it was like a time bomb for me leaving home. And so when I left, I just went a bit nuts. And that came off about 10 years, I think. <laughs> you went nuts for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, but but going to study painting is not, it does not strike me as some kind of a symptom of, of, of madness. I think what I did with it at the time was madness. Right. They, they, I was chucked out very soon after. How were you? A, a year into it. So you were trying to sort of work through some things by exploring, you know, uh, an artistic practice, presumably. I think that's a very evolved way of looking at it. There was nothing evolved about me at all at the time. I, I just think I just went off like a rocket. Mm. And I hadn't realised the kind of the tensions that were um, evident at home. So your parents stayed together? They didn't get divorced or anything? No, unfortunately. Mm. They stayed together. They're bound to each other. Yeah. That Crazy, one. isn't it? Yeah. That's not a good idea. But yeah, these things are complicated. So 
but then you then you well, you did a degree in social policy. Yeah, I had to Google that. I didn't really know what that was. I still don't. <laughs> I didn't really have idea either. <laughs> I kind of got a vague idea. Yeah, but then and then I guess you know what does one do with a degree in that? So then you you at some point you decided to train to become a psychotherapist. Yeah, I mean, I think what's parallel to that was I was in in therapy and I'd I'd spent the whole of the kind of late eighties, nineties consuming lots of recreational drugs and partying really hard and that kind of, you know, thing that was going on. Mm. And it was an extraordinary time. And in a good way. In a really good way, yeah. I mean of course it's problematic too, because the other side of that was uh you know um the positive side of that was I found a family. And my friends and community of all that scene were, were, were my family. And drugs transcended, helped me transcend the pain of what was in my body, most definitely. And I had all the music that supported that. But of course, that just wears thin if you're not resourced enough to deal with the other side of that, and I wasn't. And that's when it all became very... Um, I felt very thin on the ground at the end of it. Hmm. and entered into psychotherapy. And it was kind of... Um, yes, it was a response to feeling very thin on the ground, but also I just wanted to be well. And I wanted to know how to resource myself without using recreational drugs or people. You know. Yeah, because, you know, you get a sort of diminishing return with that, don't you? And yeah, absolutely, is, yeah. You know, ultimately, you need something a bit more sustainable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get to a certain point where you can't do that anymore. Absolutely. So you, you, you spent 15 years doing the psychotherapy. Um, I did, yeah. Were you, did you enjoy it? Or was it, maybe it's the wrong word, was it fulfilling? I think it's fulfilling. You know, I valued working with the people I work with. Were you good at it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I, again, I guess, how do you gauge that? <laughs> it's not like you can... Uh... I think you can gauge how many clients are coming through your door yeah. and how long they stay with you for, unless you make them really codependent and they can't leave you, which is... <laughs> which is <a> bit <laughs> but I think, um, yeah. Mm. I think everything had, everything had its place and it was important that I did that. So you've, you've mentioned Alice. Alice is your um, daughter, who's mm. now... How old is she now? Six. Six now. And I guess she was your first major photographic project. Yeah. So maybe we should talk about looking for Alice, which is was a, you made a book out of out of the, the work. But Alice was born with Down syndrome, and yeah. I think you started photographing her when she was about one, didn't you? Yeah. So wh- why? You know, what what made you want to? Because I think I was thinking about. It was, it, it was my kind of first introduction into photography, so I didn't know what could what I didn't understand the potential of photography at the time. So how those how an idea, how a kind of felt response to the world or a situation, could translate into photography. So before the project started, I was kind of writing lists down. It's like, oh no, how was I going to kind of how was I going to communicate the institutionalization of these children? And, uh, you know, so it's kind of writing. And I've still got the lists. And my tutor at the time, David Chandler, who's extraordinary, and 
he's uh, been with me through my practice from the beginning. And he said to me, um, he said to me, meet the world intuitively, which kind of meant when we respond to the world, you know, it was kind of, I suppose, responding to the world in a non-conceptual way. So I just put down my thinking mind and worked from that place, which is the place that I reside in anyway, because I don't, because I, I kind of live in a place where I'm, it, it's moment by moment. So you was, um, you're talking about David Chandler being your tutor, but you were studying, yeah. you'd, you already started studying photography, or you were studying photography at that stage. Yeah, yeah. I kind of went, I, I kind of decided I was going to be a photographer. So I went home. I, it was my with my acupuncturist, and he and I just felt really weighted down by the job. And he said, "Why are you doing it?" And I said, "Well, I need to financially." He said, "Well, if you if you're not doing something you love, then that's not going to work for you. Mm. So if you love photography, the money will come." Right. So I went home that day, burned everything. Really? I mean, it was all a bit, it's all a bit dramatic. I went, "That's it. I've had enough." I said, "I'm a photographer now." Wow. And I knew that I had to do it, and there was this compulsion. I was so driven to do it. And so you're pretty all or nothing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And actually, you know, I had four kids. Mm. I was thin on the ground anyway. How could I just commit myself? How could I be in all these different practices and do it well? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that because, in a way, you've sort of you're sort of bucking the the kind of current trend, which is you know in a way to do the opposite which is to find a way to earn a living and then you know it, it's much more I think it's much more kind of commonly accepted now that as a photographer you know it's, you might not necessarily make a living but it doesn't have any bearing on how you know good you are or, yeah. or you know and uh, lots of photographers now you know finding other ways to earn the money so that they can then pursue the, the, the projects that they want to pursue mm-hmm. and they don't have to you know do the kind of work they're not doing but you've you've gone the other way in a way you've gone well I'm not I can't do you could have carried on being a psychotherapist earned some money doing that mm. and but you didn't feel that was an option for you never you felt it had to I be just committed comp- I lent into all my into credit cards actually that's what I did I just kind of stacked it up and but it, it was um it you know in the whole of my being I knew I had to, I, I wanted to make work and so I knew it was going to be okay. I had absolute faith in that. And I don't know where that faith came from. Um, but it was there. So now I'm just paying off the credit card bills. <laughs> right, so it's happening. So it's happening, But it's almost yeah. like, you know, you, I guess, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy and all that, isn't it? If you, if you, are, if you do tell yourself that it's going to be okay, then you, you've sort Absolutely. of... Absolutely, you have to there. have faith in what you're doing. You know, and you know when you're in the right place with something. But so that doesn't necessarily... It's just fear, isn't it? Yeah, but with, with photography now, that doesn't necessarily translate into earning a decent living. You know, you can find success. Yeah. In terms of, you know, having critical uh, acclaim and, and, and having the kind of respect of your peers mm. and still not have a clue how to actually turn that into income. But I guess you're, you're still in that process. Yeah, Absolutely. So back to Alice, um, yeah, well, what you were saying was that you were kind of, you were trying to intellectualise it, you were trying to, you were trying yeah. to make plans and then yeah. you had to sort of, uh, in, in the end, because this occurred to me that people saying things like, um, someone said, you know, your, your work is deeply felt without being sentimental, and all, all that does come across with, with looking at, at the book, but 
I often think, you know, critics and, and, and commentators say that kind of thing, but actually that stuff kind of emerges afterwards, don't you think? I mean, in a sense, it's not, that doesn't necessarily have to be your intention at the time. You're probably just thinking, well, I'm just going to try and take some pictures that please me or whatever. Kind of. I suppose... I mean, there, there tends to be kind of a lot of weight to it. I mean, I'm quite an intense person, so, I mean, I'm always trying to work something out. And, and, and the magic about photography, it just showed me... It, it, um, you know, I feel enormously reverential and have this enormous gratitude um, about the process in, in terms of what it can deliver and show me. Well, tell us about Alice. You said she was willful and determined, or like you, like you. So I, I yeah. presume you're. But um, yeah, how would you, how do you sort of describe her her personality to 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 a stranger who? Well, she's like me, really. Yeah. You know, these children are pathologized as passive. There's nothing passive about Alice. She's really difficult to live with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, she's she kind of stretches along all those polarities of incredible sincerity and. Uh, and warmth and kindness to really challenging and, you know, struggles with authority and takes me to the edges, all my edges, really. So, you know, it's difficult. Mm. And it's also not in every moment with her. Yeah, so I, can... I see myself, you know, in all my children and actually in everyone we know, we, we identify with different aspects of that person. We know that, in, you know, they mirror parts of ourselves back, don't they? And all my children do, which is why I photograph all my children. They're, yeah. they're showing me something. Yeah. And w with her, um, I mean, part of it was a response to your own reaction or your own kind of sense of, um, I don't know, confusion or, or, or being conflicted as a, as a mum. Yeah. So... Just tell me a little bit about that. Well, I kind of... Every day I learn something else. So I'm... About the process. And even yesterday I just went, oh, of course, something else I learned about it, you know, and why I do these projects. Because they're still relatively new, and as you begin to unpack them, even a year or two or years down the line, you begin to see why you were doing that, what was important I began to see that yesterday the revelation was I remember these children walking past my house, these children Down syndrome, walking past my house as a, as, a, as a child and I remember seeing them looking so haunted and they all had the same kind of bowl-like kind of haircuts and I was saying to the person I was with, they're saying, they look so unhappy, they look so unhappy. And I don't know who I was walking with because there's something really ridiculous to me. And um, but yesterday I realised that, of course, I identified with that. I felt marginalised at home. I felt absolutely, completely separate from my family. I remember looking in at my family, thinking, "What the hell am I doing here?" You felt like an alien or something. Completely disconnected, and these children were disconnected, and you know, had been. Um, their existence had been severely ruptured by how the world experienced them. Yeah, it was nothing innate, it was how they were being treated. Oh, absolutely, and, and nothing's changed, we're just eradicating them. And so was it partly 
a, a sort of desire to explore all those issues that you wanted to I wasn't even aware those issues were in place. Oh, you they, I, I didn't even have a sense of what was really driving the project, apart from the the anger that I felt about what was going on with these children, that we were uh, we were aborting eighty six percent of them, and so it's entirely weighted towards um, abortion, and of course my own despair about my struggle about having a child with. Um, additional needs mm. and the implications of that so it's a kind of healing process but of course the bigger issues come to light later on and don't know in the yeah, editing yeah. and as you were saying it was partly that you know you felt that you were struggling to love her yeah or you, know, you felt fear and uncertainty which i yeah. guess is completely understandable but but through doing it you kind of found a way to you know get get through those absolutely things. but it was my responsibility and i can remember looking at her thinking oh my god you know you've done nothing nothing wrong alice i just lay with her and i could see she had done nothing wrong you know she didn't cry so having a child that doesn't cry for you there was a place where i didn't feel like she needed me what you mean even as a baby she didn't. yeah she didn't cry you know and so I didn't feel like she needed me, and that was extraordinarily painful. Right. And uh, kicked off a lot of, another whole load of responses about, you know, maternal anxiety and my mother not wanting me and mm. all that. Yeah, and those things, I think, are, it is a complicated business. Yeah. And, and, yeah, there needs to be a lot more kind of, I think, a lot more honesty about that kind of stuff. I think so. How, how did the title come about? What is Looking for Alice? Come, where's that kind of come from? I'm not entirely sure what it means. I think it kind of probably means a few things, doesn't it? You know, it has different meanings according to how I'm feeling. So I don't know today. Right, okay. Well, in which, I guess in which, in which case it's, yeah, that makes it a good title. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, there, there's a reflective quality to it, isn't there? Just in, yes. Mm. If Alice had not been born with Down syndrome, would you have still, you know, ended up Docu- documenting her or using her as a as your sort of subject absolutely yeah but it was you know when there's anger there that was ignition for the project right and it's a great way of beginning something isn't it it's a good platform anger it is it's very productive but there's but the pictures don't perhaps understandably you know they're so tender yeah and there's a, there's a, a lot of love in them, but also there's a great honesty to them. So there's not you haven't sort of tried to portray a very kind of idealised uh, picture. It's all no, very. No, when you see, because I also had David. You know, I'm not a sentimental. What's the word? Um, sentimental. I don't think I'm a sentimental person. Um, but I had David Chandler working alongside the project, and uh, and like and, and sometimes I used to show him images. <laughs> Say to me, that's not what you do, Sean. <laughs> and it's like, dong. <laughs> like, okay. Just needed to be reminded by someone. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and it's all a bit transparent working with him. So yeah. my failings are transparent, I think. <sighs> so he's insightful. Extraordinarily, so, yeah. Uh, it's good to have someone like that around. Well, in life, you need to be, have people, people you can lean into. Yeah. You know, and he was definitely was one of them. And I'm... And when you find those people, you want to kind of hang on, oh hang my on God, to them, you really keep do. them around. I think he's written, well, he's written the introduction to a couple yeah. of years. So he's still part of your, very much part of your kind of professional process in a way. Or Yeah, you know. I've got Kate Bush writing for the next book with Martha. But 
Um, yeah, we'll talk about Martha. Martha's yeah. your stepdaughter. She is. Because you've got four kids. Yeah. So you've got um, Alice, obviously, and you've got Martha. And Luke. And two, two boys. Yeah. Are they step kids as well? No, they're all mine. I just okay. kept producing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's just, it's only Martha who's uh, the step yeah. kid. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, just to sort of finish up with Looking for Alice, I guess, you know, you, well, you did a Kickstarter, you smashed smash the Kickstarter campaign out of the park. You, you, you've got that funded in that, in that way. Yep. And um, I think it was Trolley Books who published it. Can you kind of, have you got any insight into why the book has been so well received and so sort of has touched so many people, I suppose? I think, uh, I think it's because it's non-conceptual. I think when it's not driven by the head, I think that it means people can feel it. I think yeah. people want to feel, don't they? Of course, yeah. They want something to happen. Well, for me, I think that's that's kind of what photography is for, you know, yeah. and that's why I don't. I'm not sort of. I can't really relate to that very kind of forensic kind of uh, more detached approach. I think, and I think obviously, you know, photography is wonderful in its kind of mm. breadth. So there's room for everything. But yeah, I think that emotional engagement is what a lot of people respond to. Yeah, and they crave it, don't they? They crave to kind of belong and to feel something and have a sense of connection to something. And I think those qualities are in the book. Yeah. And she also, Alice, deeply communicates all that. And we mustn't forget this is a collaboration. This isn't me. It's Alice. And so if you met Alice, you would know that in her. And... The same with Martha. I mean, this, these things don't belong to me. And it would be foolish for me to think it, it you know, it did. Mm. So Martha was, um, I guess, heading to her teens or in her early teens when you started... Yeah, 16. Oh, she was 16. So she was well into it at yeah. her teens. And, and, and she was like, how come you don't take any pictures That's of right. me? Which I guess was... <laughs> it's my turn, it's my turn. Possibly surprising to hear. Well, she was my muse, you see, when I started to pick up the camera. So I picked up the camera about six years or so ago now. In fact, when I moved to Devon, seven years ago. And so I used to kind of stalk Martha, you know, put her just working out light and da-da-da-da. And then I didn't drop her entirely, but my, my focus was on Alice. So she asked me that question. Why don't you photograph me anymore? And I said, well, okay. And also David Chandler picked up on some of the images because I photograph all my family continuously and then I navigate them into projects. Um, yeah. Different narratives into projects. I mean, I think you sort of said there's really only one theme. Yeah. And it's just a question of, you know, how you decide to explore it. Absolutely. But I guess 16-year-olds, you know, the kind of common perception would be that 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 is a time when you're um, probably going to, yeah, quite possibly not going to want to get photographed, to say the least. Mm. But I think you've said Martha's kind of, she's very um, unselfconscious, especially well for anyone but especially for someone of that of that age which is a notoriously self-conscious phase in life yeah there are images where you know she's she's really kind of you know allowed you 
well she's allowed you uh really you know in now obviously you've got an intimate relationship but i mean like photographers always going on about access you know getting mm. access to the mm. to the situation but yeah how did that all unfold well it's fraught with tensions all the way through as you can imagine so i had to navigate through those tensions with her that's why it was a collaboration and I think it was all fine once when we were in the domestic space because I would just kind of snap away and do my own thing. But then that moment that she began to individuate and, and begin to form her own sense of self was when it became challenging. And so the permission to be in her space was now negotiable. So that was a bit difficult. Mm. So I did. We so the holiday in France. We went camping in France where I spent three weeks with her and her mate. Because it's essentially about Martha and three girls, and one of them, Beth, who I love. And <laughs> so I had to spend two weeks, I think, with them. Well, then she spent the whole of the two weeks sitting in the same chair with her mate, or at the Wi-Fi station, that was it. And so up until that point, we had a really open, I would say, very friendly relationship. You know, yeah. loving, but also very friendly. Yeah. Gone. Then it was she was absent. So we got back from that holiday and it was finished. And so it's like, well, where do we go from here? She didn't... And she, she did what all kids do. They just want to do their own thing. They want to be separate. However, I was in the middle of a project. <laughs> yeah. So... There was a practical element to <laughs> it. Definitely. It's like, oh, my God. How am I going to do this? Yeah. How am I going to get through that one but and also it's like you know you yeah you've got the mother you've got the the stepmother daughter uh, you know daughter yeah. kind of relationship so there's an there's an added layer of, of i think so complication there but i guess was it not slightly surprising that she did give you the amount of kind of access that she did give you I well i think there's all the psychological stuff going on which we mustn't forget because we know all the normal tensions of growing up and the relational aspects between parents and children and all that we know that that's well documented but the bit that we don't know about is the individual the individual needs and the psychological landscape of yes of an individual person so Martha and I we both mirror each other's maternal wounding both our mothers have felt as absent we were very much loved but neither mother could really respond to that effectively so we share very similar grief. We know each other, mothers, somewhere. And in that, there's a um, you know, absence of a, of a good witness, a strong witness, a good witness in our lives. And I think the camera became that for mm. her. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm sure it does. Yeah, and I was thinking that the, you know, this, clearly there are ways in which your kind of background as a psychotherapist has, has kind of given you an insight into yeah. this stuff. She wanted to be seen... And I think she wanted to be seen by me, hence, why are you photographing Alice? Why not me? It's like, where, where are you and me in this? So I didn't have to coerce her or manipulate her. She really wanted me there. So actually, after France, when it was problematic, within two weeks, I completely settled down. And she just said to me, oh, so you're coming out tonight? And it was like, off we go again. And mm. the next minute, I'm... Getting my bajar, jumping out of my you know bed, my jammies on, going to nightclubs at five in the morning in the winter, and 
Oh my God. Yeah. That's commitment. But but your own kind of uh, experiences of, you know, your kind of, you know, your kind of druggy kind of clubby uh, experiences, mm. I guess that, that gave you, stood you in good stead to some extent that you could, you know, kind of share those or you, or you could, you know, relate to all that stuff. Yeah, I just didn't share them. You know, I kept my, I kept my place. And, mm. you know, they're not my friends. They're my daughter's friends. And so I was holding a very clear boundary around that. Different, you know, I had almost, actually I had lots of different boundaries in that. Um, and I had to calibrate that all the time as, as they began to, as they were transiting childhood into adulthood. So it was me that had to bear witness to that and change where I positioned myself. But I think having the history that I've had, the childhood I had and everything that followed meant that there's not a lot, I don't, I, you know, I see most things. Mm. Did it remind you of your own kind of formative experiences, but, you know, sort of witnessing the stuff that she was No, up not to? really. Why I think not? hers is a much happier, yeah. <laughs> much happier time. I think that kind of untetheredness I remember, the lack of boundary and the, you know, and lack of, you know, the, the parameters are wide open, aren't they? And you feel like you can go forever. I'm not aware of my mortality or death or anything, are you? No. You just go. Well, it's you're like, kind of invincible, aren't you? Yeah, invincible. Indestructible, which can, oh, I mean, you know, oh, it might, yeah, it kind of makes you, I feel sick when I think about the kind of things we used to do. I know, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think I want well, to you know, as long as no one gets, <laughs> <laughs> as long as no one gets killed. I didn't die. That's someone, the amazing thing. Yeah. I didn't die. I look back and think, oh, my God, I, was, I, I got through that. Yeah, but then, yeah, not everyone does. Oh, gosh. They really don't, sadly. But, um, but how I survived she, it. Yeah. And, and, and does she, well, how does she feel about the images? Does she like them or does she, is she kind of proud of the project or, uh, you know, her friends? I think quietly so. I mean, I think I had a show in Paris last year and Martha walked in the room and the whole room was clearly dedicated to Martha. So I think she, she enjoyed that. But they're also, they're not Martha, are they? They're representations of Martha. And so I don't think she can really identify with the images as her. Because the images that she's familiar with are the ones that her mates take, aren't they? Yeah. On, on a kind of out and about. But these ones are not. So I, I question how much they're her. In terms of that we know that work is essentially autobiographical. So I don't think she knows her where she is in the work. I don't see her. Really? Particularly, no. Hmm. Did you learn anything from doing, you know, the Alice project that you were then able to sort of take forward to Martha? Yeah. I mean, in terms of your process or your photography or anything else? Yeah, I just learned to work with that parameters. But without think. thinking too much? Yeah, definitely. And to meet the world as an encounter. And it was felt like it felt like an extraordinary kind of liberation to do that, because if we just trust that we have everything we need in front of us, then we will be shown what we'll be shown what we need in that moment. The moment we press the shutter is is hugely relevant, isn't it? Oh yeah. And so, I think that's what happened. I relinquished something. And. Yeah, that's what I did. Mm. And I followed that through after, after Alice. You know, kicking in the film back and thinking, oh my God, you know, all those lists were, were, were 
presenting themselves in, in the pictures. So Alice was showing me, there's all these subtle levels, all these subtle levels of information, isn't there, going on all the time. And so when we're working more unconsciously without the parameters, so that's really trusting in something else, yeah. then it delivers from that, you're de delivering from that place. This is like, um, you know, in Star Wars, I'm not a Star Wars nerd or anything, to, <laughs> I'm not, but this is... You um, are, clearly. The, no, I'm really not. Okay. But this is the analogy that always comes to me yeah. is that at the end of the first one, Luke has to fire the missile, you know, and then yeah. hit the target and he says, and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi says, you know, you have to turn off your targeting computer and let the force be with you. Yeah, that's a good he turns, reference. He turns his targeting computer off and that's, yeah, um, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Let the force be with you. No. Um, <laughs> And, and you know that, that's what that is i yeah. think i think that's what that, that's but what that is but to it's me what everything is you just have to trust everything is perfect in every single moment but and so, everything you need is here but some even people if it's difficult and problematic some photographers do have an incredibly kind of um, analytical and and very sort of prepared and you know they do the opposite i guess, I guess it's back to the same old there's thing there's a place for everything there's isn't there and that's not what i do yeah and yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I no totally there's a book coming right of, of martha project yes. when's it coming spring next spring yes. are, you, are you being cagey about it no okay you sat you seem like you're being cagey but <laughs> i'm just going oh my god <laughs> so much work isn't it that's what i'm being cagey about I'm, uh, and I'm also it's going to be published by trolley again yeah and um are you kickstartering it again no or? no so there's going to be some other way of funding it i'm sure we'll we'll magic Figure something yeah yeah She's very good. I mean, the great thing about Hannah is she's very together, and she's mm. she can do that. Yeah. What's the editing? What's your editing process like? What have you learned about editing that you can sort of share um, from doing, you know, both Alice and now Martha? Um, obviously, it's an incredibly important part of the process. A lot of people would yeah. would, would acknowledge that it's as as important as the actual shooting phase. Um, do you have a certain process or a certain way of approaching it? Well, I didn't have a clue about that when I started with Alice. So it was a little bit random, even though there were, there were kind of narratives that I needed to, um, to present in, in, in the book. And that just worked. Martha is a bit more interesting. I mean, I had someone else work on this book for a while to have a look at it. And what was interesting is that the edit was very sexualized. Oh, really? Because it could potentially, you know, these you know, gorgeous young girls running around the countryside half naked is one aspect of it, but it became sexualized, and it's like, oh, the point was really missing. Was and that subconscious, do you think? Oh, I don't know, really. Was this someone else did a bit of editing for you? Yeah. Okay. Just to kind of, and so I, be, uh, there are many narratives in this book, aren't there? You know, there's my mm. relationship with Martha, my history. I mean, so I think I, I understand, I have to understand what the narrative is be before I begin, but also narratives reveal themselves in that process too, I think, don't they? Totally, yeah. And um, so I've got to, um, I haven't started that yet, I've been too busy. But I will start that. I've just stopped shooting, actually. That's why. On that project? Yeah. You've, you've decided to... That's the time to just... Yeah, you There has feel, to be a point at which you stop taking so. pictures. Yeah. Well, otherwise you're going to be shooting up to the point when you're heading for the printers. Which I did with Alice. <laughs> did you? Right to the end of shooting. 
and I, uh, I don't feel it. Because that window, when between 16 and 18 is so specific, isn't it? Mm. That transition is so specific. And once they, you're kind of, you've moved and you've separated, the child is gone. The child is actually gone. We still retain childlike qualities, but that's, that window's gone. And I think that's when I stop the work. Yeah. Because the energy's gone, hasn't it? The potency and the vitality is kind of gone and... And well, these things have their own time frame, don't they? Yeah, they have they their do, own kind of yeah. natural. And I think she's physically gone, hasn't she? She's gone to college or something. Well, I know she's still at home. Okay, <laughs> she's going to college. Yeah, yeah. She went travelling, but yeah. So what about the boys? You, you know, you've got two boys as well. I yeah, have. It's like you've. I think your magnum opus should be you just do a book on each kid, and then that's that's a four book project right there. And then I die. That's it. No, finished. that would just be the first phase. <laughs> I think. Well, each child, you see, you go match that place where they just reflect something back to you about yourselves. And so I do think I am working through something with each of my children. Joseph is really difficult to work with. And I've been photographing him for about three years now. So I've got kind of quite a big body of work sitting there. And how old's Joseph right now? He's 13. Right. And he fills the world very deeply extraordinarily sensitive and intuitive and so that's not easy to work with because he recognizes what I'm doing but interesting interesting yeah so there needs to be more of a dialogue between the two of us but one could could see how um you know it's easy to sort of find these kind of convenient patterns but one could see how if you did something uh, with Joseph as well, that you know, it would kind of fill in a, it would fill in a gap between Alice and and and, and yeah. Martha in terms of you know age, but also in terms of the kind of things that you can explore. Um, yeah, it would work. Well, he's a boy, isn't he? And he's separating from his mother, so that's interesting territory, isn't it? It's a difficult st- stage. It's a difficult phase. 13, 12, 13. Very really difficult, problem. especially it's really for a boy. Difficult. Yeah, and we're very close as well. You're, I'm only bringing these things up because you're very kind of incredibly open about these things, and you 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 make these things public on your on your website and stuff. But you mentioned that you're you separated with your from your partner, mm. so that's something that they've all like. I think you mentioned that Alice, you know, found that a very difficult thing to mm. to deal with, and I'm sure for Joseph. I'm just thinking I was that age when my parents were div- got divorced. And yeah. That's a that's a difficult age. That's a sort of age when. You'll know this. <laughs> if, a, if a shrink says, what, how old were you when your parents got divorced? And you say 13, they go... Oh, <sighs> tricky. <laughs> as soon as someone did that to me, I was thinking, yeah. oh, what's that there? <laughs> oh, well, that, that must mean something. <laughs> it's a... Uh, I don't know. I think... Alice has found it very difficult in particular, which is why the work I did at the National Portrait Gallery, you know, I called it Together. Mm. Because she does encant the word together over and over again. And... She couldn't, because she can't conceptualize the world, she can't rationalize it. She just feels it and it's kind of in, this, in her body all the time, you know. It's like almost like she's on the front line of it all the time. Mm. We can just kind of make sense, she can't. And so she just, whenever we're all together, in fact, I get on very well with my ex-partner. But whenever we're together, which we still are, because we around the kids a lot, she does draw us together. And say that word, which is quite painful. Yeah, it must be. To see that. It's been, a, it's been a, 
it's been very draining this year watching her yeah i can imagine that's that. heartbreaking really heartbreaking and uh, you mentioned this project together so that was something that you did reasonably recently and you had uh, a very nice little or you still have maybe i don't know there's a show at the national portrait gallery just finished just yeah. finished okay so people can't people have missed that unfortunately if they haven't been but i, I you know i haven't seen uh, it yet either so. oh really <laughs> You didn't manage to get down to it. Well, what they did was they there was a kind of an opening, but they only presented a small selection yes, of the images. Yes, they did. That's they all I saw. Yeah, they didn't open the whole show to people, and that kind of came out of a uh, in a in a slightly sort of unusual way because it was kind of a commission and it was kind of a corporate thing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how it came about because um, it was it was essentially you you were, you went around the country and you photographed a number of different families, mm. which is very much in your wheelhouse. You must have thought, well, yeah, this one's got my name written Absolutely, on it, yeah. and that's why they went went to you. Presumably, yeah. it wasn't just some kind of random. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't know, Sean, Sean Davis. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, to, to just talk me through how it came about. Well, I was asked by the National Portrait Gallery and their sponsors, who um, from the family programs there, to to make a body of work for the uh, National Portrait Gallery. So I was with um, Tom Seymour and I. We just had free reign to travel around the country for a month. Yeah, Tom Seymour is a, uh, a kind of a, what is a, a writer. Yeah, with the, he was with the BJP. Uh, with the British Journal of Photography. Yeah. And, he, and he sort of, yeah, took the role of kind of producer. What would you call him? I don't know. Producer, I, writer. Yeah, he, he kind of... Carried my bags. Yeah, he helped you with, yeah. with the logistics of it all. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. And so we just, it was great, actually. We just, if we just worked intuitively through our meetings with people and we decided, so we went up to Neuris in the Hebrides and then we just followed our contacts and people who were prepared to let me photograph them. And so we photographed 31 families in three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was an extraordinary task. 31 families in three weeks. Yeah, and my shoots can go on for up to three, four hours because I'm working yeah. in depth with people. I mean, I think, I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary kind of logistical achievement. I mean, I think for people who listen to the podcast will, will immediately be aware, you know, will realise that. I mean, you know, to get, to, and, and, you know, because you did nail it, if I may say so. So I think to, to get really good results out of that kind of a schedule is, is, is a great achievement in itself. Um, yeah, presumably you only had a few hours with each family. I'd have, I don't know, no more than, as long as I needed actually. But I'm, 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 I'm photographing them around a meal time, so you know I'd have to get them to slow it down a bit. So three, three, four hours sometimes. So, so, so this kind of idea of you know the family around the the the, the dinner table that was the sort of um, that was the kind of the thing that kind of held it together. Yeah. Which, of course, not all families do. They certainly um, don't. And um, I mean, I'd enter into, a, you know, I'd photograph a family in Bristol, and it was all laid out <laughs> in the, you know, the dining table and and the glasses, the wine glasses and the servants. I went, you don't do it, this you not. I know you don't. <laughs> they were, you yes, busted we do. Them. It's like no way. So. Of course they didn't. But I think that's, it didn't feel important. It's what, the, you know, that's, that was their aspiration. That's how you want to be seen and it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, one of the things you wrote was love is us, not me. Yeah. This was in relation to this particular mm. project. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I think I had a series of conversations en route with different people I met. I enjoy, I enjoy the uh, process of writing. And I just met people. For example, I met this guy on um, traveling, this Norwegian guy in... Swedish guy, actually. In the youth hostel on newest. And we would have, you know, I, I, I'm not a good sleeper. And so I got up to do some work. And there he was, you know, five in the morning, and we just locked in to a, this kind of existential conversation, you know. And I'm trying to work it out. Well, what am, why am I doing this project? Why am I doing this project? I know it's a commission, but that's not good enough. So he was part of that, a bigger picture of me understanding about actually what love is and what family, you know, I, I left my family, so I'm not, um, I can't romanticize family, it's family, I had, or my experience of family was abuse. So I began to see that actually what keeps us um, separate and what happens to us when we, actually what happens to us when we feel separate and why people are coming in to see me for psychotherapy because their sense of separateness and their longing for connection, their longing to be loved. And I began to see that as a universal need. So I think that's where it came from. And because people can clearly, families can really uh, keep, in, keep each other in their pathologies and in their trauma, can't they, equally. So that's kind of a difficult area too. But beyond that, because that's just stuff, isn't it? That's just personality, that's just history. But beyond that, what holds us together is, is connection. Yeah. Non-separateness. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I'm just wondering how, you know, obviously, you, as you said, it was a commission, and yet you're, because you're not the sort of person who's just going to do something without, well, kind of thinking about these things. Hmm. But it was, it, it was um, first of all, it's kind of an interesting possibility in terms of a way to get, you know, projects funded uh, by, by bringing kind of corporate sponsors mm. on board. But I'm wondering about what their angle was. Obviously, they're putting money as so they want to get something out of it. I think they, well, they use the images for advertising. Unfortunately, yes. Okay, so full disclosure, we, we had a conversation before we started talking on the mics and, yeah. and, and things have gone a little bit pear-shaped and that's as much as I'm going to say. So we yeah. can just move on. But I just want to give that context to the listeners. The whole thing went a bit south. And I think we'll just, we'll just park that for now. <laughs> so, and, and you're, still, you're still shooting the film. You're still, you're still a, film, a film person. What, is, yeah. that, is that important to you? Well, it feels like I don't have much choice about that. Because... Um, I did have a look through my friend's lens the other day of a good digital camera and the world looked digital. I couldn't feel, I couldn't sense what was going on out there. You have to, I think it's important when I look through the lens, I don't feel separate from what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. And I did feel separate. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. So it just meant my commercial work 
I have to shoot with film now. So that's how it is. Yeah, it's fine. And I do speak to people and they remind me that it's okay to do that, to give me permission to do that. And I mean, I, I could see images from when I was a small child. So although I've become a photographer in the last six years, it, it feels like it's been around me for many years. I have a very visual brain. And I just found a camera that I could just stick on auto, essentially. So nothing got in the way of me, of presence. The camera that you use? Yeah. The film camera? Cause, yeah. Because you've got a bit... Yeah, I mean, I think it, this this idea that... Um, or this thing that, you know, you don't get to see what you're shooting is is possibly one of the most important elements, I think. Because I think... I, I mean, but you do all... see what you're shooting, though. That's the thing. You do. You. I mean, I know no, that we see, don't because yeah. I get back. But also, I think... Well, guess what I'm saying is you can't, you can't, you don't have the sort of security blanket of checking things and, and, and that becomes a pain in the ass. It becomes its own kind of, cause it because it takes I you out of the moment. Yeah, of course it does. And I think my work is about cultivating presence and, you know, um, I'm, I'm developing a particular quality of contact with what I'm, who I'm with and what I'm with. So... If anything gets in the way of that, then that the moment's lost, and I think that's what, that's what film enables, isn't it? It keeps me in that encounter. Like being that it was something that was commissioned, it wasn't wasn't your own thing. Were you sort of nervous about having to deliver? Oh my god, of? terrible! I had massive crisis en route. Tell me. How was I going to be make work enough that's strong enough to go on in, that, in the National Portrait Gallery? You know, it's like, oh God! And um, I what? barely slept for three weeks on that shoot, and then I worked flat out. I was absolutely um, because I never know what I'm shooting really, because I don't work from a place of. Um, I don't work conceptually. You know, if you walk into a room and you've got lights and you've got, you know how to arrange people, I never know any of that. So I'm just working in a way that I don't even know how I'm working. Does that make sense? I just have to trust it will come out when I get the film back in the next week. That's it. That's all I know. Mm. Well, that seems to work. Yeah, but no, I think you know, I think for people who see see seen that stuff, I mean, well, I think you did a beautiful job. Um, but you're not you're not very technically kind of uh, oriented orientated as far as no. all that goes. What what what's your tool of choice? Are you using a six seven or something? Six seven. Right. Okay. That's that's as much technical information we have that's on this all, podcast. I think so. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. No. There see, but there seems to be a kind of confidence to it, even though you're kind of claiming that you don't know what you're doing. I know, well, I do know what I'm doing to some degree, how yeah. light's working. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what goes on in my camera, but I do have a sense of what's working now. I mean, that's what it taught me, shooting like I did over the summer, mm. that what I do at home is transferable into other, into other subjects. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and of course, and it was, it was, as I said, you know, very obviously very much in your wheelhouse, as they say. So, it, you know, it, in that respect, you know, you knew that you could, you basically were working, you know, within, within your, well, within your kind of specialism, as it were. Yeah. Um, 
You have a gallery, Michael Hoppen yeah. Gallery, which is quite a famous gallery. I don't know anything about galleries really, but I know that they're quite a famous gallery. So, yeah. how's, so how's that all come about? You just really, you're just totally rocking it at the moment. Everything <laughs> seems to be uh, falling into place, and and presumably, you know, at some point, or maybe even already, you're going to be selling prints, and that'll be part of your part of your kind of income. Yeah. What, what's that experience been like? Well, unbelievable. I think Michael Hoppin, he saw my work at the MPG last year and asked me to go and see him. And I remember I'd seen him. I didn't really even know that he wanted... I thought he just wanted to see me. So when I left, I didn't even know that he wanted to take me on. Mm. And then he said in a nice email, of, you know, if you do ever want representation, and, and oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it's been... Uh, I, I, I fortunately, I'm working with some very good people around me yeah. that really support my, my work. And, let, and, and so I've got space to make work increasingly. Mm. I'm just wondering about, you know, we talked a little bit about how you're very all or nothing and you, 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 you decided that you were going to kind of quit the, the, the other career completely yeah. and become, you know, and just really put all your eggs in the photography basket. Yeah. But do you think that, is there any danger or do you have any concern that that might even have a sort of um, detrimental effect on your work? You know, by turning pro that you're somehow going to be losing, I don't know, a certain innocence or, or that freedom that you feel when, when you're just doing something because you love doing it. Does I won't do anything unless I love doing it. I think that's, that's, that's the number one thing. So everything will have my DNA in it and everything has to feel like it's, everything has to feel important. And has to, and has to uh, mean something. So if that's that's the my my that's my personal platform. Right. Otherwise, I can't do it. Right. Because if I have to split part of myself off to fill someone else's agenda or criteria, then the work won't resonate. It won't be me, will it? No, exactly. And I think I think some people take that position, but then you know, when you are reliant on a thing to earn a living and sometimes yeah. you just do a job because it's a job and it's money but you're saying you wouldn't you're not no. the sort of person you're going to you're a photographer you're going to be you're just not going to no I won't do, do it do that okay makes sense and I don't have a private income I don't have anyone supporting me no so money is definitely a bit tight at times but the work comes in the work that I that, that's interesting comes in mm. so you just, and I yeah. feel very philosophical it would just be okay yeah I because think, I don't, I'm not really attached to the material world. I don't want things. Mm, stuff, you mean? I don't want stuff. I can pay my rent and my kids are okay. And Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you've only got to wait another few years. They might even be able to th- throw some money your way. Oh, I bloody hope so. <laughs> Banking on our time. <laughs> my kids have got me a really highly emotional, so I really can't see it. Anyway, my oldest son's there. Your oldest son, well, uh, he's, um, Luke, his name Luke, is Luke. Yeah, he's doing an, an English degree, and he wrote in the book. He's a really wonderful writer and extraordinarily poetic, and he's very uh, dedicated to his um, Buddhist practice. So he's going to be, oh, really? In, yeah, in um, Tibetan Buddhist, like I am too. So we. Oh, is that where he got it from? He, yeah, 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 absolutely. So oh. that's what informs a lot of my work. Ah, interesting. My, my practice. Hmm. But he actually does his practice and I don't. So he took me off to Samuel in Scotland and said, 
before my uh, Christmas present, he took me up there for Easter to do a retreat there with him. Meditation retreat. Well, it, wasn't, it was a bit, but it was just lovely because it just reminded me about the qualities of kindness and um, kindness, I think, mm. and generosity and all that. So it was good to be uh, infused with those teachings again and take that. But he's really bang into it. He's off. I mean, I don't know whether he'll be a monk, but he will be a full, a lifelong practitioner. Yeah, it's amazing to discover something like that at such a tender age, isn't it? I mean, yeah. um, I don't know what... Well, t- most kids have got pornography under their bed. <laughs> he had religious icons, so that right, was a bit right. of a giveaway at the age of, I don't know, yeah, yeah. nine or ten. I don't know if that's oh necessarily... <laughs> A good sign, but it's obviously worked out well. I, I met Luke, he's a lovely fella. Yeah, he's yeah, great. So that's his calling. Mm. And when I was... But he's sort of encouraged, in a way, sort of, it's funny how he's, you know, yeah, it gets to a point where he's brought, brought something back to you. He's encouraged, sort of almost encouraged you to, to, to sort of, you know, not move too far away from that practice or whatever. Yeah. I mean, for me, because I took him through all my crazy party days, you know, and I was quite full on. How well I am in photography now is how, how I am in everything. You know, it's all or nothing. Mm. So, and he, I took him through that with me. How old was he? Oh, tiny. Really? Yeah, three, four. <laughs> I didn't take him on the parties, but, you know, he was around this yeah. very, very full-on thing I was up to. And so, yeah, I took him down that path with me a bit. And so, fortunately, at, at the end of that, and things have... I was very fragile at the end, very vulnerable at the end. And so then I got into Tibetan Buddhism and therapy and um, and I, I decided to kind of commit myself to being here. Does that make sense? Mm, totally. I wasn't really here. And when you take drugs, you're not here. No. Well, you're trying to, that's the whole point. You're trying to go yeah, somewhere else. Really, yeah. And so then I decided to be here. And I think that was the turning point for him too, is that his mother chose to be here. Mm-hmm. And and I decided to bring my spirituality into here and not out with the fairies. Yeah. It's good fun out with the fairies for a bit. For a bit, and that's, yeah. the, that's the point. But he's obviously, yeah, maybe he's sort of subconsciously reacting to that, but, you know, he's chosen a path of peace. and uh, I think so, and, thank and God. And he doesn't do any flashes and he doesn't fuck about. He just doesn't. He's just, I'm here and I'm just going, I'm choosing to be in my skin. Mm. And so... Perhaps I did something right. You undoubtedly did. What? How are you returning fifty? Is, is that, is oh God! Has that sucked? It kills me. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. I think it's okay, and it's um, difficult. Yeah, it's difficult because there's obviously the biological things about degeneration of stuff like your bones mm. and bone density and. What else goes? Oh, you know, it's all a bit diminishing, isn't it? And also, what they don't teach you is... Can I talk about the menopause? <laughs> yeah, please do. I was about to introduce that. <laughs> well, as yeah, I know you, I could see it. Kind of, well, only it, because was, it was a sign you had up in front of me saying, <laughs> "No, talk about the menopause. That's just your insight. I, I never I, talk about the menopause. I, all I was going to say was, as a, as a bloke yeah. who is, you know, now 52... Um, Are you 52? It, yeah. I'm 52 too. I know. Oh God. So um, that's why I'm trying to... Where you were know, you 52 then? Well, I'm, I'm, I don't really no, want to... T- you're not really 52. I'm 53 in oh. February, next February. Are you? Oh, yeah, that's right, because you're also about... Yeah, because I'm 50... Yeah. 
we're a few so, months apart. you know, I don't have, as a bloke, I don't have to deal with that shit, you know, which I'm grateful for. But Whereas, actually, you want to woman, deal with that do. shit because as a woman, you see, when you start, your estrogen and progesterone levels change. You get all this kind of energy to be in the world. There's extraordinary untapped energy through that period of time. And I don't know, I, I'm always interested about this word pathology, but someone has pathologized women as, uh, what do they pathologize women in their menopause? How, how, how do you know it? What's the, um, I can't think, but anyway, Ben, tell me that. What do you mean? That it's a place of, it's all over, essentially. What do you mean, what's the sort of, perceived wisdom yeah, perceived, or the cliche yeah the cliche it's like it's all over and it's all downhill from then onwards and i think yeah. yes i think your body's going to struggle so i have to take care of that i do i have a very uh, focused i do lots of yoga every day i do lots of exercise so well, i have good. to take care of that so quite I a lot of young eat. people don't even do that they don't and they should but anyway so i do that and but there's all this energy i didn't know that i had and i think it was through that time you know, like when you're an adolescent and you've got these hormones going crazy. Well, we have as well in our 40s. Mm. And so there, there are parallels there. Interesting. So we harness that. Uh, I think in your teens, it's anger and da-da-da-da. Mine was a bit more evolved than that. And I think it is for women. You know, you see women going, that's it, I've had enough here. I'm moving away from my family. I'm going to find out who I really am in a kind of... Broadway. Yeah. It sounds like there is some upside then. That's, that's, uh, just you a know. bit. Uh. <laughs> but also, just, I think you just, you know, you start to, because you're just so aware of the, of the simple maths of it, yeah. you know, you do start to think, well, a lot of the shit that you worried about just, just kind of pales into insignificance. And, you know, maybe that's, that's the good part. You know, you just, you know, you're more likely to focus on things are important well you've done all your shit haven't you i kind of worked through all that well, i worked have, out well if you're well, lucky not necessarily a big chunk of it i had and i think in order for me to be here in this kind of human form i had to get my shit together mm. so but also you know it's worth kind of pointing out that, that for you this kind of brand new career this kind of second yeah. this kind of rebirth as it were has coincided with you being at a certain age and therefore that's something to, to celebrate massively right yeah. because you know you you haven't been doing photography for that long and so that must be quite exciting yeah really exciting thank god you, you know it's a um it's such a privilege to be able to find this expression such a privilege i don't believe that i was given that privilege i still can't have to pinch myself mm that to find something I love so much and it be a part of my life in the way that it is. I have such gratitude for that. And I'm still haunted by my past. I'm still not liberated by my past. You know, I still live the dreams and I'm still in that zone. But I am a healthier person. I have more uh, witness to, I know it can be quite chaotic at times, but I, I can see that, whereas I couldn't before. I'm just acting out craziness. Um, yeah, I know what I need. Mm. And which is why I could define my career in the way that I did. Because I know what keeps me well. And I know what takes me into uh, my struggle. 
So what keeps me well is staying, um, having integrity, and you know, staying with what some, with, you know, with with, uh, with what's important. And I can feel myself if I'm not doing that. I get really drained, and it's, um, yeah, mm. it doesn't work. That's that's what happens when you get to our age, Ben. How's it for you then? Oh, <laughs> Come I on! No, I don't. I think this is probably a very good time to stop the interview. I think this is when people interview. want to hear. How is it for Ben? I don't. You don't. <laughs> I, you know, let's not go there. Oh, the body language is. Uh... <laughs> this is the trouble talking to a fucking shrink. I think we're gonna let's um, mm. let's say this is a very nice place to stop. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you very, very much. How is it for men getting older? For making the time. Are you not going to... It's gonna, interesting, though. It's... it's what happens? I, well, you know, I can't speak for... I can only speak for myself, obviously. Yeah. But it does suck a little bit. Does it? Yeah. And, all, you know, but also, yeah, it just so totally depends on, on your situation. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm recently single. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's kind of particular thing. And you've got kids as well, haven't you? i got you? one. One, yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's going on. And, you know, I suppose a lot of people are, yeah, 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 we've all got our own kind of situation. Um, I think that's that's the key thing, isn't it? I think we just all have our situation. Yeah. And it's extraordinary to the degree that we can uh, conceal those from everyone else. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that with all of us. No, don't, I'm not going to edit that out. <laughs> no, you're not. I totally am. You so are not. Thank you, Sean. It was fantastic talking to you. Thank you, lovely Ben. Mm-hmm.